Locked away in attics, basements, and dark corners across the world are stories of beings and beasts that hide in the night. These are those stories. This is the Sleepless in Suburbia podcast. I'm Brooke, case manager for our team, and this is the audio recap for a haunt that hits really close to home, case 121, Prue's Waving Night Giggler. Before we dive into the case, we've got some exciting news, like really exciting. Our merch store is open. If you want to check it out, head over to sleeplessinsuburbia.com, then click Merch to see if any of our spooky creations catch your eye. And in case you missed it in last week's episode, we have our first batch of stickers. You can have some stickers totally free. All you have to do is rate and review us on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. Then email us a screenshot of the rate and review, along with your mailing address, to hello at sleeplessinsuburbia.com, and we'll drop some stickers in the mail to you. All right, that's enough of the society updates. Let's crack into case 121, Prue's Waving Night Giggler. Crap, seriously? Lo said, taking a bite of her black bean and sweet potato taco. Yup, three scratches in the center of his back and matching scratches on the left side of his neck, Prue said, finishing her nearly full margarita in a single drink. Whatever it is has shifted some of its attention to Milo. Claire walked onto the deck with a freshly made pitcher of strawberry margaritas. Is it possible the hell beast attached to Prue's somehow, she said, filling Prue's drained glass to the brim. I shook my head at the thought of the red-eyed hellhound taking up residence in another home. I didn't find it likely for a couple of reasons. First, the nighttime lurker had been skulking around Prue's world for weeks, long before cleansing Claire's home. Second, Prue wasn't with us that night at Claire's, so it was hard to tie it to Prue's place now. The waving night giggler was something all Prue's. I eyed the far corner of Prue's sloping backyard, half expecting to find the figure watching us from behind one of the large elms. Milo wasn't the only new addition to the entity's torment list. Early in the week, Prue came home from a library reading nook setup. She's doing this really cool thing where she takes large storage totes and turns them into reading boats for the kids to find tiny droplets of blood dotting the hardwood floor. The splatter trail led her to Knox's dog bed. A dried, rust-colored patch stained the tote pillow's corner. Knox was nowhere in sight. In the concerned moment of following blood droplets, she'd not even noticed that Knox hadn't greeted her at the door. The house appeared empty. Prue called David at work, but he hadn't been home since leaving for work in the morning. Milo's text let her know that Knox had been happy and healthy when Milo left to meet friends for frisbee golf. Whatever had happened had taken place in about a two-hour window. She called his name. Nothing. Shaking the box of dog biscuits, and still nothing. She even jangled the leash, calling out, asking if he wanted to go for a walk. Again, nothing. Convinced that Knox had pulled a Houdini and escaped from the house when Milo left, Prue headed to her bedroom to change clothes. Tying her shoes, leaning against the edge of the bed, she heard something. A sigh or maybe a whimper. Dropping to her hands and knees on the large area rug, she peered under the bed. Knox looked back at her from the bed's center. How do you even get under there, she thought. 
The space between the bed frame and the floor was far too narrow for him to wiggle underneath easily. It took two neighbors' help to lift the bed so Prue could scoot underneath and carry him out. Upon inspection, she found three deep scratches on the pink underside of Knox's ear. So it's no longer just lurking, it's getting aggressive, Ford said. Prue nodded, wrapping her arms around herself. Do you think it's a... You know what? We'd all become very superstitious about referring to the creatures from Case 115 by name. I don't think so. Lark's voice from FaceTime at the center of the table broke the silence. I've never read an account of a bl- one of those leaving lacerations. It's all been internal, often lethal results from those things contact. Think aneurysms, not scrapes. Then what the hell is it? I said. That was the million-dollar question. Besides physical aggression, this entity could use the scratches as a way of marking its territory. So what could it be? Lark dug through online archives, giving us the following starting point. Here are some thoughts. The creature could be a bogart. Bogarts are malevolent house ogres that, according to some legends, can shapeshift and attach to a specific place or family. This humanoid, though possibly shape-shifting entity, may also be called the boogeyman. These creatures' most terrifying accounts have them taking a sinister form with cloven hooves, a skeletal tail, and sharp horns. It's a really rough list when the boogeyman is the best-case scenario. Everything else involves the depths of hell. Lemures are restless spirits of the malignant dead. They are considered to be excessively disturbing and terrifying. Great. These vengeful spirits are thought to wander waywardly until finding a suitable outlet for its afterlife fires of hell rage. Demons. You can recognize these little buggers by a calling card they leave behind. Scratches of three or any mocking of the trinity. If these things happen, always assume it could be a run-of-the-mill demon experience. And the last possibility Lark came up with was the tenebrae, the Latin word for darkness. These ambivalent entities walk a fine line between walking nightmares and curious observers. Once they fixate on a person or persons, their attention can fluctuate from taunting to vicious. Or it was possible we weren't even in the right evil ballpark. Property details. Prue's sage-colored home sits at the end of a cul-de-sac. It has four bedrooms, three baths, a man cave in the finished basement, and a second living room space otherwise known as Prue's She Shed, or as she calls it, her office. It was built in 1985 on a location free of any known cult activity or burial grounds. Team update. Well, this week... We are all hands on haunted deck figuring out what paranormal bully was hanging out with Prue. On-site interview recap. With Milo off school on Wednesday, thank you COVID, we arrived at Prue's on a drizzly Tuesday evening. Milo and David were off on a guy's night of camping and fishing. Apparently fish like rainy days or something. I don't know. Walking in, I noticed two things immediately. First. We weren't greeted at the door by a butt-wiggling, love-giving, slobbering Knox. Peering into the sunken living room, his bed was empty. 
the vivacious, happy-go-lucky baby was nowhere to be seen. Second, I've seen Prue many ways. Determined, consumed with sadness, empathetic, patient, hungover, and on very rare occasion, furious. But walking into her kitchen, I found a very different Prue. Dark circles creased the skin beneath her eyes, her lips pressed together, forming a tense line, and her body folded in on itself, shoulders rounded, head down, and arms wrapped tightly around her stomach. Anxious. We were observing anxious Prue, and I wasn't exactly sure of the best way to soothe those edges. You all right, sis? I asked, setting a research pack on the granite island. No response. Ford pulled a tortilla chip from a bag on the kitchen table. Up for a chick flick night after we boot this creep? Prue's eyes, dark and fogged over, peered into space that we couldn't see. Claire wrapped an arm around Prue's rounded shoulder. Where are you? She almost whispered. From above us, something banged so loud it felt like the walls shook. Prue's entire body tightened, shifting away from Claire, who pulled Prue closer. I'm fine, she snapped, also very unprue-like. Yeah? Well, you might want to tell your face, body, and tone that then, I said, pulling a bracelet from my shoulder bag. Put this on. The quartz gems lining the bracelet are believed to be cleansing stones with many benefits, including shielding from psychic attacks of negative energy. Would it help? We had no clue. But at this point, We'd have done just about anything to bring the real Prue back front and center. Walk us through where everything is happening, I said, sliding the quartz bracelet onto her wrist. She stared at it, expression empty, voice flat. Come on, then. For the longest time, the creature, or being, didn't seem able to come inside. It lurked outside, hiding in the shadows and tormenting Prue with laughter at her second-floor bedroom window. Over several weeks, its energy strengthened, creeping unseen into the house. Prue's first experience with it inside took place in the laundry room. Standing from pulling clothes from the dryer, she watched a shadow slink down the hallway. Prue dropped the laundry basket and rushed for the door, looking up and down an empty hall. She shook it off, chalking it up to a trick of the light. As she picked up the laundry basket, she heard a familiar giggle from behind her. The next day, she listened to the same giggling while alone in the house, taking a shower after a run. Last week, on the second floor, screams from Milo's room jerked Prue and David from sleep. Milo's 16, not prone to nightmares, and overall, besides video games keeping him up all night, he's a solid sleeper. They found Milo in the center of the room, ripping his shirt off. My back's on fire. Something is burning me, he yelled turning in circles to try and catch a glimpse of his back in the mirror. Was Knox in bed with you? David asked, touching his son's neck. Looks like he got you here, too. Prue shook her head. I tripped over Knox to come in here. He was lying next to our bed, she said. Three angry, long red scratches streaked across Milo's back, and three more raked from his jaw to his collarbone. He described the pain as a dozen stings from jellyfish. In the upstairs bathroom, getting A and D ointment to put on the scratches, Prue heard the distinct sound of giggling coming from behind the shower curtain. Pulling back the curtain with a vicious yank, 
she found nothing but a very icy cold chill. Prue, David, Milo, and Knox decided to spend the rest of the night sleepover style in the living room watching the 90s live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. Even David had finally had an experience, though he's tried really hard to explain it away as an electrical issue. His incident happened in the garage. While backing his Honda out of the garage, the garage door started to close. David slammed on the brakes, stopping just in time to miss colliding with the door. A similar thing happened when he tried pulling into the garage another time. He was halfway in when the door closed, hitting the car's roof, causing scratches. A garage door company sent out a tech to check out the garage door machinery and found it to be in perfect working order. Scratches, shadows, laughing inside and outside of the home, dog bullying, and now Prue's mood being suppressed and enraged. We had to get this thing under control before someone got seriously hurt. Other haunted happenings. A few other things were going on at Prue's. The family had come home to every light in the house being on. A handful of times, all of the stove burners were turned on. Prue had been woken up several times with a feeling of being watched, only to see a shadow slink out of her room. Prue's four-year-old niece, Harper, says that the man with the big eyes says mean things to her, and once he pushed her while she was walking down the stairs. While dropping off the DVD box set of Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 2 for Prue to borrow, Lowe noted a rotten smell around Prue's front door. She mentioned it to Prue, but she didn't smell anything. Investigation Recap As day gave way to night, what little light breaking through the thick blanket of clouds faded away. Unease settled at my core. The vibe in the house felt off. Maybe it was Prue. Perhaps it was a taste of whatever was tormenting the house. I swallowed down the anxiety, sitting by Prue on her plush tan sofa. You ready? I asked looking at a vacant version of one of my dearest friends. She shook her head. I'm not feeling like it today. Maybe we could reschedule? Whatever was hanging around the house would have to drag my stubborn butt out of this home itself to get me to reschedule. I looked at Claire, who gave a little shrug. Ford avoided my gaze, with her eyes fixated on the darkened backyard. I will do just about anything for you. You need a kidney? I'll see if I'm a match. You need bail money? I got you. But I am not leaving this house until we get to the bottom of whatever is here, I said, checking the batteries in my digital recorder. Prue curled into the arm of the couch, pulling a teal throw pillow to her chest. I just... Her words trailed off into the heaviness of the living room. We don't quit, Ford said back to us. You've survived worse, and you will survive this. But you're not going to handle business sitting there pretending nothing's happening. Claire nodded, sweeping her hair up into a messy top knot. She's right. Come on, pair up with, it's happening now. Ford interrupted in a tone so calm, it scared me. Sandwiched between Ford and Claire at the large bay window overlooking the backyard, 
I squinted into the darkness. The deck was empty, except for the patio furniture, a couple of dog toys, and a large bowl for Knox's water. I scanned back and forth, left to right, across the backyard. There was a flower bed of yellow irises and creeping jenny, but nothing of note. Nothing waved at me from behind a stack of firewood against the fence. A head didn't pop up from along the deck's edge. Everything appeared like it had countless nights before as we chatted around a fire, full wine glasses in hand. The only thing in sight was blackness and normalcy. Claire gasped, grabbing my elbow. What? I squinted harder into the yard. I couldn't see anything. There was grass. Nestled in yellow rose bushes was a hammock chair Prue used to journal each morning. Maybe another dog toy in the middle of the yard. The neighbor's cat slinked along the fence line. Her eyes occasionally glinted when they caught some light. Had the cat's eyes spooked Claire? Next to me, Claire shook gently, taking a step back away from the window. What was she seeing? Ford's unblinking gaze remained fixated out the window towards the left. I shifted forward, leaning onto the window seat's buttercreamed cushion, hoping for a better vantage point. As the yard sloped upwards, dotted with large trees, something shifted in the shadow. The darkness intensified, taking a humanoid shape, backlit by the glow from a neighbor's light. Features were indistinguishable in the moonless night, but we didn't need to see it more clearly to know it was watching us. That's him. Prue's voice came from behind me, so close, I could feel her breath on my neck. Let's do this. Claire's voice steady surprised me. I want to get home to watch the episode of Big Brother I have DVR'd. And there it was. We all had our own ways of compartmentalizing. Prue and I would stay on the main level while Claire and Ford took the second floor. We would then reconvene to investigate the backyard. Though it was a single-family residence, we opted for two research packs. That way, we were never too far from medical supplies and any other equipment we may need. Each research pack included two digital voice recorders, digital camera, complete first aid kit, holy water complements of the First Baptist Church, one flashlight, trail mix made by Lowe's daughter Maggie, and two St. Michael necklaces. On the second floor, Claire and Ford started in Milo's room, running a digital recorder from their seated position in the middle of the floor. Quickly, a noise caught their attention. Through the darkness, they heard something rattling. As they scooted towards the closet, the rattling got louder, and they could hear heavy breathing. As Ford turned the door handle, the door burst open, and a figure knocked into Claire, forcing her to the floor. She screamed. As I raced upstairs, Prue remained uninterested in the living room, watching out the window. Knox had gotten himself locked in the closet. Bursting to freedom, he'd taken Claire down with him. What we couldn't figure out was how an animal with no opposable thumbs got into the closet and shut the door behind him. Had Milo accidentally locked the door on Knox, not realizing he was in there? Did the being roaming the house do it? Or possibly most concerning, did Prue have something to do with Knox's lockdown? After Knox's escape from the closet, the second floor was fairly quiet. 
but we did catch one EVP from the second floor after reviewing audio. This audio was captured prior to Knox's escape from the closet. Give it a listen. Giggling. So is that who locked Knox in the closet? Back on the main level, Prue stood motionless at the window. As much as I wanted her to tackle this thing with us, its pull over her made it impossible. As Ford and Claire made it to the main level, an awful scratching, screeching sound pierced through the quiet darkness. I looked at Claire and Ford, hands clasped to their ears, and to Prue, hands at her side. He's angry, Prue said over the screeching sound. Banging erupted at the back door, and then the front. Heavy pounding so powerful, I worried the doors would bust open. It's hard to guess how long the screeching and pounding lasted, maybe a minute, but when it stopped, the silence was even more deafening. Together, we moved out the back door, squinting into the darkness. You have something to say? Well, I'm listening, I shouted. The door behind us slammed shut, and a turquoise flower pot crashed to the deck. I think angry was an understatement. Ouch! Ford hissed, grabbing the back of her head as we watched a clump of her hair fall to the deck. Claire rubbed at her arms. Um, you guys? She clicked on her flashlight. Does this look like chicken pox or something? Claire's arm was covered in tiny red bumps. They could have been blisters, but they looked painful. Looking up from Claire's arm, Prue was walking down the deck steps into the backyard. Into the darkness we couldn't see into, and likely straight towards the sinister entity. We gotta move, I whispered, sprinting across the deck, grabbing Prue around the waist and throwing her over my shoulder. Fishing the keys from my pocket, I flopped Prue in the back seat with Claire. Ford hopped shotgun, and I gunned it towards St. Anthony's. Wrap up. St. Anthony's was about a 45-minute drive from Prue's. It was the closest cathedral where I knew a priest would be open to meeting with us about the waving night giggler situation. About 15 minutes into our drive, Prue asked where we were going and wondered why we weren't investigating her house. We soon realized that Prue was missing a huge chunk of time. The last thing she could remember was coming home from the library at about 3 p.m., She'd sat down on the sofa to watch Lucifer on Netflix. Then, nothing, until checking back in as I sped down the highway. Away from the property, Prue was back. Lark's got something for us, Ford said, holding up her phone. I'm going to put her on speaker. Ford had been sending Lark updates throughout the evening, and thankfully, her research game was strong on the interwebs while we had her hands full. It was likely we weren't dealing with a demon, Bogart, or Lemures. It looked like we were dealing with a Tenebrae. These entities can rain down total chaos on a single person or an entire house. They are nomads, drifting here and there, through our dimension and the next. However, when they get bored or someone catches their attention, things get messy. It's possible that the stress and anxiety Prue brought home from the hideaway raised an energetic flag that caught the attention of a passing-by Tenebrae. 
It tapped into her fears of the, um, you-know-whats. Then it doubled down. When it didn't get the reaction it was looking for, it kicked things into overdrive, physically lashing out at the family. The tenebrae is tied to tormenting its living victims in a specific location. For whatever reason, it can't follow you outside of the area it first encountered you. For Prue, that was her house. Once away, the emotional and physical effects faded. By the time we arrived at the cathedral, Claire's arms no longer had the angry red bumps. Prue was freaked, but otherwise her usual upbeat self. And Ford, well, she was still missing a chunk of her hair, but otherwise unscathed. Father Blackburn performed a blessing on each of us, hopefully erasing away any harmful residue left by the waving night giggler. When he offered to go to Prue's that night to perform a heavy-duty blessing to cast out the lingering entity, we were surprised. Back at Prue's, we waited in the car. So far, things are looking good at Prue's. Milo is sleeping through the night without waking up to burning scratches. Knox is back to his playful hyper self. And David doesn't have the garage door trying to crush him anymore. The tenebrae seems to be gone. So with Prue's approval, we're comfortable closing case 121, Prue's Waving Night Giggler. If you want to stay up to date with everything happening behind the scenes, including exclusive pictures and updates, you can stay connected with us on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Sleepless Suburbia Pod. We will be back next week with another case. Until then, thanks again for listening to Sleepless in Suburbia. Take care, everyone.